Welcome to the Principled Podcast, brought to you by LRN. The Principled Podcast brings together the collective wisdom on ethics, business and compliance, transformative stories of leadership, and inspiring workplace culture. Listen in to discover valuable strategies from our community of business leaders and workplace changemakers. Hello and welcome to another episode of LRN's Principled Podcast. My name is Ben DiPietro. I'm involved in thought leadership here at LRN. And with me today is a good friend of mine, Dr. Andrea Bonamy Blanc. She's CEO and founder of GEC Risk Advisory and a global governance risk ESG ethics, cyber, and crisis strategist who works with a broad cross-section of business, nonprofits, and government agencies. Since 2017, she has served as the independent ethics advisor to the Financial Oversight and Management Board for Puerto Rico. She's an extensively published author of many articles and several books, including her latest, Gloom to Boom, How Leaders Transform Risk into Resilience and Value, which earlier this year debuted as an Amazon number one hot release in business ethics and game theory. Welcome, Andrea. Thanks for taking some time today. Thanks so much for having me, Ben. So uh, let's get started here. Tell us about your career path and how you got to be where you are as the founder and head of GEC Risk Advisory, and what sparked your interest in ethics, compliance, and governance issues. I grew up in Europe to begin with, so I had a German mother and an American father, and I grew up in Spain. So I started confused early on in my life. But kidding aside, I lived under Franco Spain, which was an authoritarian system, and that really helped define a lot of my worldview. And so when I moved to New York with my family, I was 17. Uh, since then, I've been here. I went to school. I did a graduate degree in political science and a law degree. And then I entered the law field. I was in a couple of big law firms. And then I moved into the corporate world and I was a general counsel, ended up doing a bunch of other things, uh, ethics, compliance, corporate responsibility, audit, information security, almost everything that's a non-financial function in four different companies over a period of almost 20 years. And if I look at the arc of my career, basically I moved more and more away from the law and towards these intangible, important, what people call ESG issues today, um, which were you know a bunch of different things at the time. So my first general counsel job, I was the general counsel of an international electric power company and we did business all over the world. And early on, I realized, oh, oh my God, I need to get some kind of code of conduct together. We have all these potential issues out there, corruption, fraud, discrimination, harassment, environmental health and safety. So that was the beginning of my doing that kind of work. And that's over, that's about 25 years ago. And increasingly, I just filled the role of ethics and compliance officer, of risk officer. And then more and more, I, I sat on nonprofit boards and then when I started my business a few years ago, I really wanted to focus on leadership issues from an ESG standpoint, from an ethics standpoint. What do leaders need to know about ethics, about governance, about risk, all these topics that they kind of leave on the side when things are moving along nicely, but come back to haunt when they have a crisis, when they have a scandal. And so my whole thrust is really trying to get leaders to be better leaders and to be fully aware of all these ESG, and I, I've added a T for technology in the way that I talk about this stuff, all the ESG and T issues that they need to know to run a you know, resilient business, a sustainable business, and a business that caters to the stakeholders. 
there's so many things going on in the world right now that organizations are needing to be paying attention to. But uh, let's start with this uh, most one top of mind here, the question of racism, police brutality, and racial inequality. We see so many companies issuing statements in support of Black Lives Matter and against injustice. But what should they do to take those words and turn them into constructive actions to improve the situation? It's truly unprecedented times because we have a conglomeration of really big, ugly risks that have exploded in our faces, basically, globally. And it starts, you know, with certainly the, the COVID pandemic situation, but there are other issues that have been under the surface or maybe not so under the surface over the last few years. The uh, economic inequality issues, the stakeholder capitalism issues, the social injustice issues, and also leadership issues. We've had some very serious leadership challenges over the last few years, both governmental and we, we see them also frequently in the business world. And so with these issues sort of being front center and needing resolution and needing addressing now, business leaders really have to confront these issues if they haven't before and confront them in a way that caters to their stakeholders. And that isn't just a greenwashing kind of a approach, which is very typical. Uh, you know, when there's an environmental crisis, well, then you talk about things in a lofty way, but then you don't really do them. So here we are confronting some really serious social issues, issues of discrimination, of brutality. Uh, we also are seeing an intersection of health and safety issues with issues dealing with social inequality, where we have workers uh, who, who make very little money, who have to work, who are being forced into meat production facilities or other kinds of manufacturing facilities without the proper safety and health considerations. So we're sort of, we have businesses that are having to decide between the health and safety of their workers or the well-being, quote-unquote, of their shareholders because the business needs to keep running. And this is really almost unprecedented, I think, in, in terms of its massive scale. So then how should companies work with police departments to bring about the changes they'd like to see and while addressing the resistance that's inevitably going to come from officers, from police unions, from some politicians, and from the portion of the public that puts public safety above all other matters? Part of the challenge here is that, especially in the U.S., where I think our form of capitalism has been much more focused on strictly financial returns, revenues, and that sort of thing. If we look at some of the European companies, they, they get this more well-rounded approach to these issues than we do, I believe. And that's partly because they've adopted some of these ESG or corporate responsibility types of approaches to doing business more seriously and for a longer time than we have. We've had a rise in recent years of ESG becoming a really important focal point for investors and required by the Black Rocks of the world, for example, which I think is really, really starting to integrate with many of our companies. And I think this whole COVID situation is going to really accelerate that, that integration of ESG as part of your bigger strategy in business. I think as companies realize that knowing what their other important non-financial ESG and T issues are, we are going to see a more resilient kind of approach to these things, which is going to look at the community, look at the policing, look at other kinds of issues locally where businesses can be helpful and create a balance. Because at the end of the day, when you address these kinds of issues in a proactive and positive, constructive way, you're eliminating some of the health and I'm sorry, public safety issues that you know some people might be fixated on, which are very important, but they're not the only thing. 
You referenced COVID, and then uh, that was the next portion of the conversation here. Let's talk about that. What are some of the things you're seeing in the organizations you're working with that they've learned so far during this pandemic, and what else do they still need to get a better handle on? Well, you know, this goes back to my point just now about ESG and T sort of awareness and integrating your most important environmental, social governance and technology issues into your business strategy. And I think the companies that are doing that are showing a lot more resilience and ability to adapt and be agile during this really critical time. And, you know, there's a lot of examples out there that we can read about every day in the newspapers, which basically demonstrate that those companies that had that awareness of all these intangible ESG and T issues, had the business continuity programs in place, had the crisis management in place, they're building resilience over time, and they're equipped with dealing with the avalanche of issues that we're dealing with, which, you know, COVID is just unprecedented in our lifetimes. It's been 100 years since there was another huge pandemic like this uh, all over the world. And the companies that cared about the health and safety of their employees or uh, the well-being of their customers, or the well-being of their suppliers, are the ones that are are really shining in this moment, and they're going to have the trust of their stakeholders over time because they know they're going to be taken care of, or they're going to be respected. And I think that those who don't, those that were not equipped, uh, those who don't pay attention to these issues right now, they're not building the resilience, they're not building the sustainability, and they're going to suffer some consequences potentially that they wouldn't have if they had been paying attention to this sort of system of issues that are interconnected. And my best advice to those companies that weren't prepared is take advantage of this crisis to become prepared, build those ESGNT issues, risks, and opportunities into your business strategy and build the resilience into your organization to be prepared. Because I don't think this is the last time we're going to see a pandemic. And for all we know, this one is going to be with us for a couple of years. As these companies begin to reopen their offices, their stores, manufacturing facilities, what are two or three things you tell them they should be focused on relating to the health and safety issues that workers are going to be worried about when they come back? So so I think it depends on the business that you, you are. You know, if you're a purely you know, virtual capable business and office white collar kind of business, I would give people the option to continue to work from home, come in maybe once in a while with very limited, you know, numbers of people rolling in from time to time for team meetings, but basically stay virtual as much as possible because we're still in a time of great uncertainty. Of course, uh, manufacturing facilities and other facilities that require people on location really have to do the best of the best scientifically proven practices in their locations, which of course offices also have to do, but basically provide all the PPE precautions, follow the science, follow the facts. Uh, to me, that is my second major, major thought. And then I think that anybody who has any pre-existing conditions or vulnerabilities, try to make those accommodations for those people because obviously, it's otherwise a very uncaring and potentially a liability-creating situation. And I think another thing is really respecting the needs of individuals and, and catering as much as possible to each person and their, and their concerns. What do companies do then to allay fears of intrusions into personal privacy and surveillance issues that may come with taking people's temperatures, monitoring where they've been and where they're going? and with whom they are interacting. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess this really goes back to this trust issue, and it's it's a really a, a, a very tense sort of balance between health and safety on the one hand, and and uh, implementing some of these temperature type things and monitoring type tools, while at the same time not invading a person's HIPAA protected privacy information. So we're talking about some pretty serious, difficult balancing act. And that's part of the reason why I suggested a moment ago that companies need to be flexible, need to cater to the individual. If a specific individual has major privacy concerns and they can work from home, well, let them work from home. Uh, I think we have to do some customizing and tailoring to the people. And I realize that when you have 100,000 employees, it gets very super challenging. But I think we need to be very, very cautious and careful and uh, science-based when we're doing all these things. I think the other thing that to me is really, really important, and this goes back to my background in ethics and compliance, is the idea of giving people the ability to speak up, uh, safety to speak up on any of these measures, that there be resources available within the company to listen to the concerns, that there be very clear statements and policies of no retaliation for these kinds of issues being brought up. And so, you know, when you look at the meatpacking kinds of, uh, or meat uh, processing kinds of facilities, you know, I, I really feel for the people who work in those kinds of facilities because speaking up isn't even an opportunity in most of those places. People are packed uh, next to each other, having to provide their services in unhealthy, unsafe conditions and uh, speaking up is not even an option. But I think the companies that care are going to implement these kinds of systems to get people to feel the trust that they need in the company. This is a, a critical moment of truth for trust, I think, in uh, each different uh, business. Are you going to show that you care for your employees and your customers, or are you going to just be single-minded, looking to either save your business or make the money? And I think we need to find a balance. And the last thing I would say is, you know, just like a good ethics and compliance program, it's really important to do constant, continuous lessons learned improvements as we go through this period, because this period is going to be with us for a while. And there's going to be a lot of bumps on the road and potentially recurrences and new waves. And we need to be attuned and agile to those things and continually learn and improve and address these kinds of issues. I agree. And I think it's uh, imperative for them, not just from an ethical and moral standard, but they're also going to have risk and liability issues if they don't do these things and somebody gets sick. And unless there's going to be a blanket protection for uh, companies, there's going to be a lot of litigation about people saying they were put in unsafe situations and maybe they'll, uh, there'll be some financial repercussions on that back end if they don't uh, watch these steps. Absolutely. So, I want to thank you so much for uh, taking time with us today. I really appreciate that. And I hope our listeners enjoyed this as much as I have. Please stay safe. You too, Ben. Thanks so much for having me. We hope you enjoyed this episode. The Principled Podcast is brought to you by LRN. At LRN, our mission is to inspire principled performance in global organizations by helping them foster winning ethical cultures rooted in sustainable values. Please visit us at LRN.com to learn more. And if you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And don't forget to leave us a review.